Welcome back to How to Go to College. I'm Zach Lewis, and here, of course, with one Catherine Mars. Good morning, Zach. How hey, are you? I am doing all right, Catherine. How are you? I'm great. And we're sitting here with, of course, Matt Stoker as well. Matt, how's it going? That's going very well. So today, we're talking about test prep. I'll dig into it. Catherine is, of course, the expert. So, Catherine, I don't know a whole lot about SATs and ACTs. I did take the SAT once. Uh, funny story, when I took it, I was actually in my father's classroom which was a weird thing, and he ended up having to go to another room to proctor the test because he's a teacher where I took the SAT. And, Matt, you took the SAT twice. I did. I took the SAT twice. I had a tradition of having breakfast for dinner beforehand and then getting a jack-in-the-box breakfast sandwich and then going and taking the (laughs) SAT. And it worked out for me twice. I I scored better the second time, so I... I think uh, it was a good decision. Catherine, I, don't, I don't recommend that. <laughs> Catherine, how did, how did you take it? I mean, you took one of these, I took right? the SAT. I took it one time. I did no test prep. No test prep. I also did no test prep. Matt, where were you? I did very little. Very little. Okay, very little. well, that's that's something. So Practically not. But it's generational, too, for, for me. Right. So, because so, test prep really wasn't a thing then. Right. It was for me. I just didn't do it, and I probably should have. So, <laughs> the SAT and the ACT, it's an intimidating thing. Every kid knows they've got to do it if they mm-hmm. want to go to college, one of the two at the very least. So, I guess to start, which one's better? Well, I think the best thing to do, the student should, if the high school is not offering, taking the test in in 10th grade, the PSAT, which is the practice SAT, Mm -hmm. if it's not offered in 10th grade, they need to ask to take it in 10th grade because it is offered at every high school in 11th grade because that's the national merit qualifying exam. So students who want to take it sooner than 11th grade can certainly do it. They just have to pay for it Right. if this high school doesn't already offer it. So I, I recommend that students take it in 10th grade for practice, and they take it cold. They don't do any test prep. They just take it cold. And then after that, when they get the results, that's what will help determine whether they are an SAT test prep person or would possibly do better on an ACT. You were already leading into my next question. How, how does a student know if they need test prep? If they don't score really high on the PSAT and yet they make really good grades, then there may be a disconnect. And so then maybe they do need some test prep because it may be that they have test anxiety. And simply learning how to test and the strategy that goes along with it will help take away the anxiety that goes with it. When you have a kid that gets good grades but bad test scores, that is odd. And test prep is important. What about kids that get really good test scores but bad grades? I mean, wouldn't that be some kind of red flag? That's a red flag to colleges. And uh, a lot of schools will, you know, that, that will just kind of sink the ship on some, with some schools. On the other hand, it shows that the student has the basis, has the knowledge, because they did well on the test, actually. So it could be that the colleges will look through that and look at the student holistically and say, hmm, maybe the student is just bored in school. Maybe, maybe he would do better, you know, with a little maturity in college. So I was one of those kids that I took the SAT. Basically, right around when people started telling me, you probably should have taken that by now. That's when I realized, oh, yeah, I should probably go do that. I was a little late to the game. When should a student start getting started in test prep or getting ready for the test? Well, if they, if they did take it in sophomore year as practice, the PSAT, and they did pretty well, then they need to start doing the test prep 
probably in August or September of their junior year, and plan to take the PSAT in October, which is everybody takes it, and then take an SAT in either November, December, as well as an ACT in November or in December, so that they can kind of uh, get a feel for both tests, number one. Yeah. And um, know how they, you know, which one they like better. And hopefully they can take the rest of their testing throughout the spring semester of junior year and be done with it by the end of May or early June. And one cautionary note is that students should not take either of those tests more than three times. Why? Well, number one, colleges look at it with a dim view, but also because it's it's been proven over and over that after three times, the element of being able to really increase your score is not great. Right. It's null at that point. So colleges might see taking a test three times as being, yeah, a dim view, as you said. Well, more than three times. Would that, Right. Would they see any, any, any kind of correlation in that with regards to taking each test a couple times? I mean, if a kid takes the SAT twice, that's one thing. If he takes the SAT and the ACT twice... That's another. Is there any kind of correlation no. there? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't matter. And actually, you know, if a student does really well in certain sections of one, such as on the uh, SAT, if they do really well on the critical reading on test date number one, and then they take it again on test date number two, and their critical reading drops, but their math goes up, well, if they're applying to some schools that super score, that's to their advantage because the school will take the highest of each one. Now, the University of Texas and Texas A&M only take one test date. So that wouldn't work for local kids in Texas. But um, for other schools, that's certainly a consideration. And more and more schools are now also super scoring the ACT, which did not happen in years past. So they would, because there's more sections on the ACT, again, if a student has a really good score in the English and reading and their math and science are not that high on the first test date, but it is the second test date, then they too may want to send those. And they don't have to send both. They can send just the SAT or just the ACT because they're treated equally by every college and university in the country. Is the fact that schools are, more schools are adopting the super score speak to schools lessening the importance on how a student does on a single entry test. Yes, yes. And and as we're going to talk about in a little bit, I, I'm sure uh, the issue of test optional, more and more schools are going test optional. And the reason they are is that they're finding that the relevancy of a standardized test in terms of success in college is not as great as it used to be. So... More schools are saying, well, you know, kids who um, come from lower socioeconomic status cannot afford to do test prep, and so maybe it's not fair. And so they're looking at it a little differently. Um, But, you know, I think testing is going to be around forever, and part of that is because it's a great way for merit scholarship awards. If you do really, really well on tests, on standardized tests, there's usually going to be money for you if you um, apply to schools that offer merit aid. I think professional opinions vary as far as as far as optional tests go. What does Catherine Mars think? What do you think about optional tests for schools? Well, I, again, I go back to 
you know, if you get my philosophy on paying for college, it's always about merit scholarships. And so if uh, as long as merit scholarship aid is based on test scores, which it often is, 90% of the time, I would say, then I'm going to be supportive of test prep and testing and taking these standardized tests. Any recommendations from somebody who kind of helps kids with this kind of thing as to how to bring down your anxiety regarding the test, how to calm down? I know test prep has always been one of those things, but I don't know. What do you think? Practice, 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 practice. and practice in a timed setting so that you get used to the fact that the buzzer is going to go off or, you know, somebody's going to, the proctor's going to say, okay, time's up. Because I think that what really causes a great deal of anxiety to kids is not being able to finish. And so they get wound up at the very beginning when they first start answering the questions, worrying about getting to the end. And I think if, if students, it's just like riding a bicycle or, or becoming proficient in playing the guitar or whatever, you have to practice. You have to do it over and over again. And so it's one thing to practice the questions but to do it in a timed setting. So even if they're taking sections of the test as homework assignments, they need to time themselves or have someone time them. The SAT and the ACT, how does, how does, how does that work for kids who are not quite the average, who, who struggle? Well, I think there are um, a lot of kids that have learning differences and therefore have accommodations in high school for either extended time on test in class or note-taking, or various other things that they might have accommodations for. Those kids can get extended time or accommodations for both the ACT and the SAT, but the trick is is that it takes time to get those. There's paperwork that has to be filed, and at every high school there is someone who is responsible for helping to file that paperwork, and students need to advocate for themselves and make sure that they get with their counselor or, and find out who that person is as soon as possible in the fall of junior year uh, and possibly even in sophomore year if they want the extended time on the PSAT. In, in Europe, it's popular, a gap year. You take a year off between high school and college. It doesn't happen so often here, but I actually know somebody who actually lives in the area that's doing that. Um, I wanted to ask what you think about that. Should you still do test prep and still take the SAT and the ACT in high school at the same time if you're going to take a year off to go travel or maybe explore your, your trade? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Any student who wants to take a gap year or is planning to take a gap year and is not sure if they're going to start college one year out or two years out, it is far better for them to go ahead and treat this as though they're going to go to college right after high school. Because once they get out of school, if coming back and trying to take an, a sub, an SAT or an ACT, it's going to be much harder when they're out of school because out of sight, out of mind. And right now they're learning the materials, they're going through it. Like the ACT, for instance, is a test that is testing you based on what you have learned. So it, it really is a pretty concrete test. And if you don't take it while you're in high school and then you decide to go to college when you're 20, You've been out for a while, and then things are going to be rusty. The other side of it is that I, I tell kids, great, take a gap year. I think it's a fabulous idea, but apply to college first as though you're going to go in the fall after senior year, and then you can ask to defer. And if the school does not allow you to defer, then you, that's okay. You go ahead and take the gap year, but it's so much easier to reapply if you've been accepted once already. 
Right. I think that's the big danger of gap years is, is parents worry that kids will, will get off track. Yeah, you'll you'll feel, fall out of it and feel like, well, I can't get back into it. I'll just keep working my part-time job. And there you are. The big differences between the SAT and the ACT, you said if you don't do well in the PSAT, then you might want to look at just taking the ACT. What functionally makes the big difference between those two? Okay. So, so an ACT, as I just said, is very much a concrete test. So it will test you on all the math you've studied or the um, you know English the writing paragraphs or, or rather the reading paragraphs where you go in and, and then you you know kind of tell them what you read etc uh, but the AC the SAT on the other hand is really for the kid who loves puzzles and who likes to problem solve it's more of a critical thinking it's a much more critical thinking and quantitative reasoning you know, if, if you like math problems that are the train is going 60 miles an hour and it's due to arrive at such and such, which is 115 miles away, you know, how long is it going to take the train to get there or whatever? Those problems are really, that's a kid who does well on an SAT because yeah. that's on an SAT far more than it is on the ACT. Mm. I can't stand those kind of problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's there's multiple forms of test prep. After college, I worked a stint at a, at a bookstore. There were books you could buy. Right. I mean, there's there's classes you can take. There's individual test prep. What do you think is the best way to go? Well, I am very biased to individual test prep because I think you can get a better bang for your buck in a shorter period of time. And kids are really busy these days. And going to a class, what I really encourage is that if they do classroom work, that they seek out the instructor for individual help on the side based on their weaknesses because the teachers cannot tell what their weaknesses are. They're looking at the whole class. So the individual test prep sessions are much better because they can be focused on and custom tailored to the needs of the student. Our next segment, we're going to have James Denke in studio. This is an associate of yours. Catherine, how do you, how do you, how do you know James? James called on me when he first started his company back in 2009 and I was impressed with him. Uh, I did not work with him until my daughter struggled with the test prep I had paid for her when she was doing individual test prep, and I was surprised at the results, which were not as good as I thought they would be. And I complained to James, and he said, well, let me have a try. And so he worked with her no more than two sessions and bumped her scores over 200 points. And so I was like, I think he's on to something. You don't think there's any chance the first test prep individual might have loosened the proverbial lid, as it were? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think that one of the big things about the way that James's team works with students is they, he and his team motivate these kids, and they want to do better, and they, they want to please the tutor. And I think that's a big part of it. Well, I'm excited to get him in studio. We'll be right back with more of How to Go to College right after this. Welcome back to the, our How to Go to College segment. Today, we're having a conversation with James Denke, and we're going to be talking about test prep and the SAT and ACT. So welcome, James. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Do you have any thoughts about the differences between the two tests? In other words, how should a student decipher which test they should take? Well, what we like to do is we like to evaluate the student in front of problems 
where they'll look at both SAT and ACT questions. And typically what we find is those students that are better suited for the SAT are stronger in the verbal component of a test. They also have uh, stronger critical thinking skills. And that's not to say that the ACT students um, have worse critical thinking skills, but uh, they're typically faster thinkers. They have a lot of information in their head, and they can respond to a quick test like the ACT in rapid form. When it comes to SAT versus ACT, usually the stronger verbal students are SAT and math and science are ACT, but it really comes down to each student and his or her specific skills. So if a student has issues with timing, they should really stick to the SAT. Absolutely. Be right? Absolutely, Catherine. I can't tell you how many students um, will have uh, 100% of the questions correct through a section, but then just run out of time in the last 25% of the ACT, and their scores just drop off from there. So the SAT allows for more time, and, and I think it's a better, a better fit for those more methodical test takers who like to think through problems rather than just react from their gut. One of the things that that I learned years ago from um, Bill Fitzsimmons, who's the dean of admissions at Harvard, he said, you know, the test prep game or the field of test prep is not a level playing field, that kids who can afford it get it. So how do you respond to that? And how how do we um, communicate to parents that that it is important because there's money affiliated with test prep and, um, you know, how do you deal with that? I think you're right. I think a resource, you know, let's say a private tutoring resource that um, is expensive, you know, uh, can be the difference between a, an excellent score and a phenomenal score. But not every student uh, has access to that. And, you know, I do think that those, those students who can pay for a resource like private tutoring for these tests will see a benefit not only from an acceptance standpoint, but also from a scholarship standpoint. And sometimes when, when you look at the costs associated with a private tutoring or classroom course, uh, parents may balk and say, well, I can't afford that, or it doesn't make sense. But then time and time again, I see on the back end that money is repaid tenfold uh, in terms of scholarship uh, scholarship money and merit-based aid. So, so we're talking return on investment. When it comes down to it, you're absolutely right. Okay, great. What should be the expectations of a student? Like, in other words, what do your test prep professionals want? What do you expect of the student? And then what should the student expect? We expect our students to be engaged, um, to not just come in and sort of be checking this tutoring session off their, their uh, weekly schedule, but to be prepared, have their homework assignment completed. Um, sometimes we'll even assign practice tests where we'll have students come into our office and take a four-hour full-length SAT. Uh, when those are scheduled, we expect them to show up, um, be rested, be um, you know, well-fed, and uh, be ready to, 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 to attack that test. And if they make the commitment to um, adhere to our expectations, then we can offer them what they expect, which is a score improvement. And typically, from a student standpoint, we want to offer them, you know, a four to six point improvement on the ACT or 150 to 250 point improvement on the SAT. And, you know, there's a, a direct relationship between the amount of work that the student puts in and the amount of benefit they receive from, from the test prep. So when we talk about test prep, you know, a lot of, a lot of individuals think, oh, that, that's about a class you know, setting or whatever versus individual. And I always recommend to students that they definitely consider the individual test prep because, number one, they probably will have fewer sessions. 
But number two, the classroom doesn't teach to the individual. Would you agree? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many students we have call or parents we have call every year that say, well, we tried the classroom course and the score just didn't really bump that much. And you're absolutely right. It's because it's not tailored to the student's individual needs. And it's not the the instructor's fault in a classroom setting. It's just they have 25 students there with 25 different brains and 25 different sets of deficiencies, um, strengths and weaknesses. When it comes to a classroom course, typically you're just not going to see the type of improvement uh, that you would on the um, as compared to a private tutoring session. So, you know, when when we're working with students, we always, you know, recommend that in 10th grade they take the the, the practice, the PSAT in 10th grade for practice. And some high schools do indeed do that now and it's a great thing and then we ask students to ask their counselor at school if they can do that. So when a, a student comes in and has taken the 10th grade PSAT, doesn't that give you a little bit clearer picture of how to pursue what they need? Absolutely. Um, some, some students take it as early as 9th grade, but, but you're absolutely right. More and more often we're seeing these 10th grade PSAT score reports, and that can indicate to us whether or not this student is an average student or someone who is flirting with an exceptional test score. And if that's the case, then we like for them to get started in the summer before uh, junior year so we can really polish up their score and hopefully uh, compete for something like a National Merit Scholarship um, in junior year. Well, that's great. One of the other concerns that, that I face many times is families who come to see me when their student is just entering middle school or entering high school, and it's, it's way early for them to be considering college stuff. But they do. And so how do you deal with families that approach you when their child is only in seventh and eighth grade about test prep? My gut reaction is to say hold off and wait. However, we make accommodations typically for siblings of past students who've had exceptional results. And I'm I'm personally working with two now where I started with a student when he was in eighth grade, and he just finished 10th, and he's scoring perfect on his SAT now. And there's something to be said about, you know, a student who, you know, is in middle school, and their brain's still sort of developing, and being exposed to these tests so early, it's almost like it's second nature by the time that they're in high school. So, you know, I can make an argument on both sides. I'm still on the fence, to be completely honest with you, but um, I do think that those calls are, are coming in. Uh, pretty regularly about, you know, what can we do to get started so we can have a top score once, um, you know, my son or daughter is a senior in high school. So you don't feel that there's any burnout potential? I think there, there yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's a fair <laughs> comment, right? Um, but, you know, for the motivated parent or the motivated student, um, sometimes it can be an option. So, you know, there was an article out this week about more and more colleges are going test optional. Like now there's about a thousand in the United States that are. So what do you think that does to the test prep business? I think that when it comes to, and I I certainly see the trend, but when you look at merit-based aid, all of that is based off test scores. So if you kind of turn your back against test scores, then you're sort of turning your back toward toward merit-based aid. So for for parents and families that find um, college aid important, they may want to reconsider those articles when they read them. Do you do practice testing? Do you ha- offer students the ability to come in in a, 
in almost a setting that's um, kind of like a test, a real test. Absolutely. So every Saturday morning at 8 a.m., we offer a practice test at our Dallas office. And you should see it in the high season of testing. There, there are kids all throughout the office, you know, not just at desk, but, you know, chairs and side tables. And there's tests being taken all throughout. And we, we find that it's a critical component because it's recreating the test environment for the student prior to the actual SAT or the ACT. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen a student say, well, you know, I don't need to take a practice test. I'm already scoring a near perfect score on my homework. But when they get in that actual testing environment, the game changes. Stress levels increase. Um, the timer, you know, the, the clock on the wall, you have the proctor component. And all of these things can heighten stress levels. So the idea is to recreate that environment beforehand so the students aren't caught off guard on test day. How do you feel about students uh, when they sign up late for a test and they have to book it at a different location than what they're typically going to, you know, their local high school? What do you recommend they do when that happens? If they're forced to take it at a location other than their high school, I, I like for the student to drive by the school, at least do a dry run to know, you know, how much time is it going to take to get there? Are there any traffic considerations? Where do I park? Can I walk the campus to kind of get an idea of what to expect? But we really like our students to feel comfortable when they take their tests. So the idea is sign up for your test early. Don't do it last minute if possible. And if you, if you have to, then at least map it out so you're not caught off guard. They call it test prep because well, they use the word prep because you want to be prepared. And it could be something as simple as not knowing where to go, getting lost on your, on your way to the, to the test. That can really make the difference between you know, your, your, your true score and something lower than that. Okay, one last question. Sure. When students need to take subject tests, do you also feel that test prep is good for them as well? I do, and I think timing is important. So you can really leverage what the students learn during the school year. Let's say if a student is wrapping up an AP chemistry class at the end of May, it may make sense to take the, the June uh, chemistry subject test while everything's fresh in his or her mind. Um, and I do believe that that private tutoring or even a classroom-based setting, if that's the only option, is helpful and um, can make the difference between an acceptance letter and a rejection letter later on. Great. The thing about the, the uh, issue of subject tests, the AP exams are usually in the first two weeks of May. So there's an SAT date in May. And although world history subject test is not offered, then the others are. So we kind of recommend that they also consider taking subject tests in May because they're already taking the AP test. And unfortunately, teachers do spend a lot of time on reviewing for the AP exams. So, James, thank you so much. How can our audience get a hold of you? WatertonGroup.com. All our contact information is there. We have a Facebook page, Twitter. Um, call us or uh, shoot us an email. We're happy to... Uh, to consult and figure out how to get your son or daughter his or her best score. Thanks, Thank Catherine. you so much for coming on the show today. James Denke, Waterton Group. Thanks, Catherine. Great to see you. Well, that just about wraps up our show today. Catherine, how can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more? They can go to our website at marscaa.com or they can contact me at Catherine, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E at mars, M-A-R-R-S, C-A-A.com. 
And if you want to keep up with the show, uh, follow us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Keep up with everything how to go to college. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.